You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode 49. Thank you for connecting with us today. It is truly an honor that you're taking Q's on the go. If this is the first time you're joining us, welcome. Here in the Q's Podcast, we'll talk to credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. I'm your host, James Lenz, Q's Professional Development Manager. In this podcast episode, we'll explore developing a strategic advantage with executive benefits featuring Chris Jones. Chris is a highly experienced financial planner with 25 years in the financial services industry. He works as a specialist in executive benefits planning through his affiliation with OM Financial Group, which works with credit union executives and boards across the United States. Some highlights from my interview with Chris include an examination on roles of the board, the cost of poor leadership, current executive benefit trends, and an example of what it looks like when things go right, an example of what it looks like when things go wrong. Now it's time to go straight to my interview with Chris Jones. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Awesome. We just got back from Kauai. I wish I could have extended it just a little bit further. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, of course, we had Q's symposium over there. It's great to see you and Bruce from Own Financial. And uh, it was a, a nice, successful event for those listeners out there who could make it. We appreciate your support of Q's in the event and I hope it was a wonderful event for you. And, and for those who have not attended or are not familiar with the Q Symposium, it's a unique event in the credit union space where we bring together the board chair and the CEO at the same meeting. It was a lot of fun. Now, Chris, I'm glad we finally have the opportunity to connect here on the podcast. We, of course, I've met again at several Q's events, not just Symposium. You represent an own financial. You're an expert in helping credit unions and nonprofit organizations fund their employee benefits and senior executive retirement programs. Outside of that, you've also been a longtime board member in your community. You work with boards, but you also are a board member, so that brings a unique perspective to our conversation today. Chris, we have a lot to talk about today regarding your specialty, but first I wanted to start the show with a little bit of inspiration. Chris, do you have a favorite success quote or mantra that you live by professionally? I, I think the one that I lean on the most is this, and this is just after you know 30 years being in business is, if you pursue them when your leadership is less than successful, move them to, to be successful or find the future successful leadership. I mean, one of the biggest risks we see is in transition where, you know, where just because you have successful leadership doesn't mean the next one is going to automatically be successful. So the boards have to manage that transition. And that's where probably they spend more time in transition, you know, it, on a weekly basis than they would when they have successful leadership running. But if they have successful leadership, 90% of their job is done, and their job really becomes strategic more than uh, tactical. So they're more the strategic thinking about where the credit union is going in the future. That's a good perspective, and of course that is something you've learned along with as a board of director yourself. I've lived through the, uh, I can give a recent example where we thought we did everything right, way ahead of a transition plan, and you know, it was something that we just didn't see that came out after the transition was made and some things happened and we wound up having to start over. Um, and it's, it's very t frustrating and time consuming for a nonprofit volunteer board member to jump in at that level. So if you have successful leadership, my philosophy has always been you do everything you can to keep them. And if you are, if, if they're retiring, you make sure that you built your succession plan in a way to ensure every way, shape or form that you're going to succeed going forward. 
because when it when it's failing, you, you, the board's frankly it's an an unbelievable amount of time and responsibility falls back on the board when you're trying to kind of put the toothpaste back in the tube, as, as we say all the time. <laughs> Sounds like some great advice. Do you have any other recommendations? What should some other concerns be? Some of the greatest concerns for directors? You know, I, I'll go to the strategy side. You know, looking looking at the landscape, the, the the directors of the board members are the ones that are out in the community, much more so than the single CEO can be. And so that they have an opportunity to really see the landscape and see opportunities that the credit union itself might not see. So going back to that strategic standpoint, if they can really help map out plans for the future, at least directions for the future, that then the team you know that works for the credit union can implement, that's not only a key role, you can get tremendous success out of that for the credit union. So you're talking about leadership. What is the cost of poor leadership? The analogy that I use is this, that, you know, if you think of a relay race, a relay race is won and lost almost all the time in the handoff of the baton. It's not in the, you might have a faster runner or, the, or a slower runner in one of the four runners that are running around. But overall, the biggest challenge is that handoff of the baton, and that's the, the cost of poor leadership. When you transition in leadership, what I see happen often is the board takes the trust that the previous CEO built and earned and automatically grants that to the new CEO. And as my encouragement and as I, as I live with the, with the boards that I'm on now, is, is the, the new CEO has to earn their own trust. If, even if they, we know them and they were in a position where they were, we, they were internal, we still have to we still have to build back to let's get back to a running you know where it's six months to a year where we've had consistent predictable outcomes and where where goals have been met before we start to back off in that additional oversight that we have you know when you don't do that things can go awry and you won't even know about it until it's it's a little bit too late to fix sometimes so so that that relay race a bad handoff that's everything if you can if you have successful leadership, again, it's awesome. It's the transition to the next leader that's the key. I appreciate the analogy. Now, if we kind of step back and we look at executive benefits, what kind of trends are you seeing right now? One of the things that's coming up more and more, which we encourage as well, but one of the things is there is no one-size-fits-all. The way I would describe it is, you know, somebody says to me, I want a car. Well, there's still a universe of decisions that need to be made once they've decided that they need a car, what type of car, what features in the car, you know, what do you want this car to do for you? The same thing applies for us for a supplemental executive retirement plan, like the work we do, like, or, or compensation and bonuses, you know, it, it all has to fit together and it has to fit within the planning and expectations of the board. The best part about having this whole conversation is the executive is given a chance to really see if their goals match what the board intends and the board is given a chance to see if their goals match what the, what the executive intends. It's an important conversation, sometimes uncomfortable, but really, really necessary so that everybody is, you know, as they say, on the same page. So um, what, what I find, you know, every board works different, and I know that, uh, you know, just the boards I'm on and have been on over the years, every board has a different kind of pace and decision-making process somewhat to it. But overall, there is no one-size-fits-all. They have the opportunity to really design what they're trying to do going forward and not to look to the outside where somebody gives you an answer. There's not just one single answer. It's really, it's not that simple anymore. It's really 
we're customizing you know every plan to meet exactly what the credit union and the executive are jointly trying to accomplish together that's of everything that we see going on that's the trend that we see is, is playing out over the last really year to two years thanks for sharing now can you talk a little bit about the dynamics of succession planning it's fascinating to me that you know succession planning can be a very comfortable relationship when everything's good and the executive is looking at a runway of the next five to seven years and, and everybody's getting along. And so you, I've, been, I've been in that experience where the, the, everybody's on board with it. And then I've been on the experience on the other side where the, the board was ready for the executive to leave two years ago, but the executive doesn't want to hold on. And, they, and I think part of the failure there was they didn't have the conversations they didn't start the conversations the day the, the executive got hired. Um, I think succession planning starts the day you get hired for a few reasons. First, there's no guarantees in life. You know, what we talk about is you do a fire drill, and I think a lot of credit unions do this. In the, in the speaking and the events I've been at, I find a lot of credit unions run the fire drills where, okay, your, your executive just got incapacitated tomorrow, whether it's your chief executive officer, chief financial officer, chief technology officer, doesn't matter. They just get in, incapacitated tomorrow. What's our response? Who's got what? What responsibilities do we do we have to transfer? What institutional memory does that person have in their head? And is that in writing any place or in anybody else's head? You know, the uh, chief technology officer might be the only one that really knows the full landscape, and that's a risk that the board really has to manage. So the whole dynamic of succession planning is starting out running it as if it's a fire drill. So if it's an emergency where you've got to respond, and then once you build that plan, it's much, much easier the conversation, okay, we don't have a fire drill. There's no fire anywhere. What do we want to do over the next 5, 10, 15 years? And you know, people are an absolute. They, if somebody's 50 years old, they might say, well, I think I want to retire at 65. It doesn't mean that you have to make all of the decisions today on exactly how the next 15 years is going to look or the absolute retirement date. It just means you have to start building the capability and capacity in your staff so that the best transition plan is bringing in somebody from the inside many times who's already fully aware of all the institutional memory. There are times I would argue where it's better to bring somebody from the outside. But if you can build it from the inside and you have a very successful executive and you're, and you're really building your own future leadership, that is the best place to be. So if you can do it, you want to do it. If you don't have the talent, start to recruit them in at the, the manager level so that you have a pool of three or four candidates that can develop to being senior leadership at all times. I like that approach. Very interesting. Let's talk about some examples. I mean, to take this to a level that makes it easier to understand, Chris, can you provide an example of what it looks like when things go right and an example when things go wrong? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When things go right, I think everybody knows the scenario, but I can speak to one without giving any names where you had a, not a long term, but somebody who had been there almost a decade, was in senior leadership, you know, had a successful prior CEO. They had a very close relationship so that all the information, institutional memory, all of that was being shared. The board still went out, and I fully believe this. I still think you go out and you shop the marketplace for the next CEO, for example, because I find everybody behaves better. When somebody knows they're competing for a job, they're going to behave better than when somebody knows they already have a job. You know, that's locked in. So I think you know, the board looking at the landscape and then looking at their internal candidate, when they're choosing, still choosing their internal candidate, 
I think I think it just works better. If you pick an internal candidate without looking outside, that's your choice. I'm not judging anything, but I just what I found in, in the many times we've gone through transitions in the nonprofits I've worked with, it's you're always better off at, at stopping, calling every question. Now, when you have that internal candidate, and in this case, they have the internal candidate, all the institutional memories there. A lot of the systems are in place. Plus, the person very intentionally wants to move to this the leadership role, it's all positive. The people know them. The one thing I do say is when you have an internal candidate that moves from a not CEO role to CEO role, they have a three to six month window to reframe their relationships in their new position. And if you don't take advantage of that three to six months, your your relationships are frozen as if you're still the CFO or chief marketing officer or something like that. So the whole purpose of that transition time, and you'd be very upfront with it, is we're going to transition what these relationships are because now the buck stops with me and I'm going to have to make those final decisions. So it's a different dynamic than if we're peers. But if they do that, and what I've seen, it's been a number of times, it's been a very, a very smooth process for the board, very smooth process for the credit union, and the strategic plan just continues to be executed going forward. That one is one out west that we worked with that like a great example and, it, and it's worked out well. Um, on the other side, you know, I had one or I had a couple, but um, where we've had the leadership was um, we were very intentional uh, and, and the board was very intentional in the transition, but when the it was a situation where it was a very long-term tenure executive. The organization was doing very well. Um, we brought in somebody ahead of time, five, six years ahead of time. And, you know, the, the so the new CEO or the CEO mentored the, what we thought would be the new CEO. We did do the, we did, or they did go out and, and look at the marketplace. But I would say the one dynamic, the mistake that they made was as soon as the long-term successful CEO retired, the new CEO took over the board just kind of been, okay, we're done because we, you know, it's kind of all been moved forward and kind of stepped back. And some things started happening when that person was in the first chair that they weren't doing in the second chair. And in essence, they weren't doing when they were uh, just on the scene, they were just a senior uh, vice president level. Mm -hmm. And the board really didn't find out, didn't really get a true picture of it until about a year and a half. And it has been brutal for the organization. And, you know, they had to, they wound up terminating the CEO and wound up, um, you know, starting from scratch, hiring an interim. And, you know, now we're trying to make up for lost ground. You know, some of the things looking back, what we could have done better. And the, I think the one thing we could have done better is just not given all the trust to the new CEO that the old CEO had earned. The board should have stayed much closer to the new CEO, much more oversight in the transition for the first six months to a year to make sure everything was stable. And so, you know, live and learn. It'll never happen again with any organization I'm involved with. I appreciate you sharing some examples. So, Chris, as we wrap this up, aren't we really talking about developing a strategic advantage? Yes, absolutely, 100%. You know, if you go back to the relay race analogy, if you have four very solid runners and you have by far the best handoffs of the baton between runners, you will win that race almost every time because you know, if, if you're competing against somebody who's got a rock star runner in one, but they have average runners in the other, or even all rock stars, but they mess up in the handoff, they're never going to be able to keep up with somebody who can keep that thing moving consistently forward. And the same place true for credit unions uh, or for all organizations, that if they don't lose any time, energy, effort, or speed in the handoff and transition of leadership to new leadership, they will always be ahead of the people that take a hit when they're transitioning to new leadership. 
So when I look at, you know, strategic thinking, absolutely a key role of the board. But as part of strategic thinking and planning, succession planning is embedded in that completely. And just before we go, Chris, what is the best way to reach you? Very simple. Phone number is 860-604-3337. My email address, very simple, cjjones at financialguide.com. And then the website, omfingroup.com. Chris, it has been an absolute honor and a pleasure to have you as a guest in the show. On behalf of the entire Q's team, we thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. And I appreciate it. The feelings are very mutual. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Q's. If you found value in our podcast so far, please spread the word to your colleagues and friends. Let them know how easy it is to connect with us. You can direct them to cues.org slash podcast. Another way for them to connect with the show is by going to any major podcast directory or found on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. For more talent development content from Cues, visit cues.org now. That is C-U-E-S dot O-R-G. If you're a Cues member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Cues is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Cues can help you realize your potential, visit Cues.org today.